Welcome to AI Studios, a new podcast about the explosion of generative AI. We're holding a series of conversations about the latest in the field with some of the brightest creators, builders, researchers, and thinkers. My name is Natalia Barina. The following is a conversation with Victor and Jackie from Kyber, a startup that unlocks creativity through generative audio and video. Subscribe to our Substack at aistudios.substack.com. Good morning, everyone. Uh, today we'll be talking to Kyber, and we have with us today Victor and Jackie. And I'm excited to have a really interesting conversation about what Kyber is, what uh, what they're building, and generative AI in general. So let's kick it off. Maybe we could do uh, introductions, uh, Victor. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Victor. I am the founder and CEO, or co-founder and CEO of Kyber. Um, I have a background actually in law, so I am like one of the only non-technical people on the team. Um, and yeah, we started we started our business about a year ago. Um, it was not a generative AI company, but it was sort of tangentially related to music. And we can get into a little bit about the company history. But um, yeah, we've woven around and pivoted and snaked around different ideas for about a year, um, but finally landed on something that seems like it has some life in Kyber. Um, so yeah, it's been a fun journey. Um, I'll go. I'll go ahead with my introduction. Um, hi, I'm Jackie, and uh, yeah, my background is actually more as an artist. And for as long as I can remember, I've been kind of like drawing and painting and illustrating and that kind of stuff. Um, but I always had this kind of like same fascination with like math and engineering. Um, so when I studied computer science at Berkeley, that led me to stuff like computer graphics. It really kind of got me into generative media, and I was a researcher there for a little while. Uh, working in autonomous vehicles. Um, and then I had a realization. It was like, oh, I'm not actually interested in the research so much as the uh, the possibilities of making art with generative modeling. Um, so yeah, after I graduated, I, I was working as a machine learning engineer at Stripe, but I don't think it was kind of giving me the, the artistic satisfaction. So on the side, I started kind of exhibiting AI art pieces. Um, and yeah, that was kind of just like a thing I was doing on the side. Um, got a lot of freelance projects, kind of like left Stripe to go do art full time. And then that's when, you know, Eric, our other co-founder, hit me up and was like, hey, we're working on these like AI generated music videos. Like, do you want to join? Um, and that's kind of like where all this started and kind of the rest is history. Awesome. And so how did all three of you meet? I think Jackie, you knew Eric way back, right? Like in college? Uh, actually, so we had a lot of mutual friends in college, but we didn't meet until kind of like the pandemic. Uh, we kind of just had a mutual friend who introduced us and me and Eric would just call every like six months to catch up and talk about like our various creative projects. And he was always someone that was like, you know, really thoughtful and just really nice to talk to in terms of like discussing like the creative process and kind of sharing our work with each other. Um, so yeah, this all started because he kind of hit me up to catch up one day and then we started got talking about this AI stuff. Yeah. And I, I knew Eric, um, since he was born, uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Eric's, um, I call him my baby cousin. We're actually not blood related. Our, our moms are best friends from high school from all the way in Shanghai. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm like five or six years, six years older than him. So he was always like, you know, the little twerp in our family gatherings and eventually, um, obviously grew to, grew to respect him a lot with what he was doing with his career. Um, a little bit of background on Eric too. Um, just since he's not here, he, um, you know, he, he went to college as a computer science at Berkeley. Um, and he was also, um, yeah, he was just a really talented developer. He was a YC developer working on, um, all sorts of different startups from like, uh, 
This was like an interesting like uh, esports sort of gambling thing that he was working on. He had a real estate project that he worked on, um, and um, he was also a super super talented music producer. Um, and so when he started producing music, um, is when you know we started collaborating a little bit, just ideating. Um, and yeah, that sort of led us to what we started with about a year ago with um, you know, our project called Secret Garden, which was like a, one of his ideas of how you can basically package together music samples into like a nice collectible that we um, that we launched as, as, as that project. Um, so yeah, Eric has like a really deep experience in that. And um, yeah, it's been an interesting experience going from being like this older brother figure to uh, now working with him. So yeah. And I know, I know this startup journey has been a roller coaster ride for you. So tell us a little bit about how that all went. I mean, startups are always a roller coaster, but I think yeah. a very interesting uh, story there. Yeah. Um, I feel like ours is more like um, free falling without a parachute. And then somehow you get like, you get saved uh, before you die. <laughs> so a little bit more extreme than a roller coaster. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, obviously we, we both had our startup journeys. Me and Eric had our startup journeys um, before before we met and did this. So so we all worked on different projects before then. Um, but a year ago, he was working on a lot of um, actually very popular and successful NFT projects, um, art projects. And he had an idea about um, what we called this, like, it's, it's basically like a digital music beat pad where artists would basically curate 25 to 36 buttons that all played a different sound that all mixed together so that users can make their own sounds um, and they own commercial rights to the stems and all that good stuff. And we thought that made like a lot of sense as a um, as an NFT, as a digital collectible. Um and so we launched that to quite a bit of success last April. Um, you know, um, we, we first started with uh, his own music. We started bringing on other musicians. Um, eventually, we actually even uh, met Mike Shinoda, who, who found us organically and, and, and thought that we were an interesting team. So, so he became one of our advisors. Um, and so that was going well. We actually never got like funding, um, intentionally never got funding we, because we made a decent amount of money on our first sale and we used that as our seed money to start. Um, but obviously, you know, if, if, um, if people track the, <laughs> the market, Right. A year ago is when things started going quite downhill. Um, and so, you know, fast forward to about like September, October, we were starting to have some trouble thinking about whether or not we had product market fit, whether or not this was a sustainable business model, whether the market was ready for our idea. Um, and quite frankly, like from a startup philosophy standpoint, I think we made a lot of mistakes where we try to convince ourselves of something that probably wasn't there. Um, and so, uh, that was all fine and great. You know, we couldn't raise any money. We tried to at that, at that point. Um, and then a uh, disaster kind of struck in November. Um, so in November, you know, we were always very conservative with our money. Um, everything that we made in crypto, we sold to us dollar. Um, but we, ha- we held quite a bit of our treasury in FTX, um, the U S branch. And, um, and the reason why we did that was, you know, as, as people probably are familiar with like the SVB bank run, like it was FDIC insured or so they said, uh, we eventually dug in. We're like, okay, we can't get our money out. We should probably be able to go to the FDIC insured bank to, to ask them for our money. And we found out that FTX had an entire network of shell companies that they were representing as FDIC insured banks. So, um, pretty much disaster. Um, we ran out of runway and, um, we were sort of, sitting there thinking, okay, like what now? So, um, this is where sort of Jackie came into the picture. Um, sort of along this timeline, it's not perfect, but like a few months before that, um, that's when mid journey first came out, um, or at least first sort of, um, became, became like a viable medium to create art. And, uh, you know, me and Eric were just like, we're, we were, like spending all nighters just playing around with it just for fun. And Eric sort of had the idea of, you know, how can I sort of leverage this technology to give my music a visual story? Um, and that was always one of his dreams and something that we, you know, we just couldn't afford uh, because animation studios cost so much. Um, 
And so he started hacking around with early uh, sort of text-to-video um, AI uh, implementations for his music visualizers. And um, we, we packaged together... Or I think Jackie, you should probably step in to take this part of the story. But I think like, yeah, there's there's a there's an interesting uh, sort of side quest with Kid Cudi that eventually led us to our pivot. Yeah, I guess I can talk more about like my POV for all of this. Like, I mean, me and Eric were just kind of like hacking on these new technologies. Like, we took kind of like inspiration for open source, and we kind of like jumped off of that. And we were just doing these kind of cool music visualizer type things. And I necessarily didn't I didn't necessarily have any kind of like expectations about this. I was like, oh, this is a cool side project. And then Eric uh like one week tells me, like, hey, like uh, you know, I think this is really good. My my music manager says that uh, you know, he's gonna try and like shop these around town. We'll see like if anything comes of it. Um and then a week later I remember I was like working in a coffee shop. And uh, I just get a call from Eric and he's like, what are you doing right now? And I was like, wait, what do you mean? And he was like, we just got picked up by Kid Cudi. He wants us to do visuals for like his entire album. And I was just standing there kind of in disbelief. And I was like, oh shit, I guess I got to go run home. And then I just like ran home and we just spent the next 24 hours kind of um, just hacking and kind of like fingers crossed. Like we didn't really have time to like double check and rerun anything. So we just like... You know, ran 12 visualizers, you know, we're super early on and, you know, like, I think we're really lucky in that, like, we kind of nailed the look and feel of it. And Kid Cudi's team was really, really impressed. And that's kind of like how we got our start. Um, Got it. And then what was uh, what was Eric's for context? What was his job that he was so well placed uh, to, to kind of help you get this off the ground? He he works in the music industry, is that right? Like, how I mean, he was a music producer, um, but he was always just sort of like the CTO and developer of everything that we were doing. So you know, when that happened with um, with Kid Cudi, this is around the same time we were struggling with product market fit with our core product, mm-hmm. and so um, obviously like light bulbs went off, um, and so and so a month later when FTX happened and that's when we started asking questions of you know this thing with Kid Cudi that didn't feel like a one-time thing it felt like there was a real artist with a real need that we were able to service really quickly and so um, we basically you know we looked at our personal bank accounts we honestly we fired a lot of people on our team and we kept like the core four um, and then you know we stretched out a personal runway and we're in our heads we was like okay we have one pivot left um, before we got to find real jobs and uh, and and so that that was basically the seed of you know developing the MVP for Kyber um, and yeah so I mean Eric's Eric's the developer he's 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 the main dude um, I think Jackie's more of like the artist and obviously he has a lot of AI research experience, so there's a lot of like that level of hacking. But in terms of like the front end and the back end and just putting all of that together, that was that was all Eric. I think it's just so unique to have people who have such different <laughs> interests and skills. It because normally you know it, you have people who are just pure engineers uh, or people who are pure musicians and writers. But when you have mm. the intersection of those things, uh, magical things happen. Um, so you guys got it, got this off the ground, and it, you were getting some momentum. And then how did how did Mike? Um, Mike Schneider. Yeah, how how did Mike Shinoda notice you? Yeah, um, he noticed us when our when our Web three company, um, and so he was an advisor, you know, with 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 um, you know with equity in the company. So when all this happened with FTX, he was one of the first people we called, right? Like, hey, this is happening. Um, you know, we're, we're sort of laying out the story that we just laid out to you, and and putting our options on the table. And he actually said something super insightful that I, I think drove us into this direction. Um, he basically told us that every musician wants to make a music video, and no label wants to pay for it. <laughs> and 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 the reason is every musician finds an artistic um, sort of fulfillment in making a music video, right? It's something that expresses their vision, something that they always want to do, but the budget for doing something like that, uh, especially something aligned with what their vision is, is really expensive. Yeah. And so he thought, you know, if we sort of position this technology in a way that serves that market where they can make visual assets to accompany their music, he just instinctively thought that that would be super valuable. Um, and so we sort of ran with that and, um, yeah, like I think Mike sort of did a huge favor when, um, you know, he was, um, 
in parallel releasing the 20th anniversary uh, for the Linkin Park Meteora album. And so they had three unreleased tracks on that album that were recorded 20 years ago, and uh, no one knew about them. Uh, they, they sort of dug in their crates and found them, and uh, Mike thought, hey, listen, like, you know, we've always been an experimental band experimenting with new technologies. Like, we thought, he thought AI would be like a perfect fit to making one of the videos. Um, so we partnered with an animation studio, Shibuya, to uh, come up with that music video. And, um, you know, we took a lot of our learnings and just sort of poured that into our product. And so when that music video launched, that sort of gave us the activation energy. Um, and that was, you know, that was just two months ago, but that was a huge, huge um, boost in, in our direction. Got it. And then what is, you know, like Jackie, what's what's something that's different in building <laughs> building this type of product and this type of AI, applying it to creativity from your prior work? It's Stripe. I mean, Stripe is a financial company. So um, I think what people want to know is how do you build generative AI for creativity? Because there's so few people doing that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <clears throat> obviously, I think I would say it's like orders of magnitude different than the work that I was doing at Stripe. And I think the kind of like thought process that we have is like, you know, there's very few people doing this in large kind of like production projects, like a full music video and stuff like that. Um, And I think our ethos has been like, you know, we're the ones who made a music video. We kind of like understand the tooling that you would need and, you know, like even doing the music video itself, like we had so many requests from the animation studio um, and it was such like a tight timeline that there was just so much work that they couldn't finish on time. And they were like, how can AI help us? You know, and there's this back and forth of like, you know, this is what we want. This is how we want it to look and feel. And then we kind of went back, you know, into our lab, you know, just spent three or four days just like, how do we build this? How do we invent this? How do we like kind of add that next level of polish to make it, you know, fit for like a music video for wide consumption. Um, and I think that's kind of like how we're thinking about this product as well. It's like, uh, how do we go from research into making something that is like ready for people to see people to experience and that kind of stuff. Um, and also like, what is the creative process like of, you know, composing these shots and trying to like get it to match a certain look and feel and we're kind of trying to take that creative process and kind of like boil it down into like a tool and i think our ethos has always been kind of like we are artists building tools for other artists and i think that has been kind of like the most powerful thing for me yeah kudos to you guys for doing that because taking something from research to production is just (laughs) it is so hard and especially in ai i think there's a gap and there's a lot of opportunity there uh to to bring you know new products and apply these technologies in a way that makes sense Uh, because research (laughs) in my experience researchers are live in a different world than people who make products um i'm curious to to hear a little bit more about challenges both on technical as well as on business side um on the business side like the challenges are i would say pretty standard for well uh, standard for startups right I, i think um and, and honestly, I think the business challenges are sort of technical challenges. So Jackie could probably speak to the technical side. But from my perspective, right, like as a startup, you are always cognizant of whether you have product market fit. And if you see an inkling that you do, how sustainable is that sort of growth? Um, you know, how do you match those numbers with your churn? You know, is 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 that all sort of packaged together in a way that you can grow? Um, and, and and for us, like the biggest challenge, right? And it's it's a double edged sword. Our ability to implement open source papers is is, is definitely our biggest strength. But they are open source papers, right? And and so there is a question that we always have is like, okay, so at least on the open source side, how do we build a moat around it? Um, And so from our perspective, we think that we've done a really good job in the first three months to build a a little bit of a brand moat with our studio productions because we've worked with the really, um, you know, talented artists to come up with really interesting assets. Um, But from the technical perspective, you know, how do you build a UX that, um, that is really uh, artist first, artist forward, I think, and thinking really from the perspective of like, how do you, how does an artist actually want to use this? 
and then weaving in the open source to try to to solve those problems. I think like that from a business perspective, at least from my point of view, is like the most challenging. Um, but yeah, Jackie, curious, curious what you think. Yeah, I feel like technically speaking, like. Uh, I think there's like a couple of big things that we're thinking about. One is like, I think we realized early on that like, you know, me and Eric, we're never going to be able to kind of train our own models and compete with open source. Like the, the space has gone so quick, so fast, like things are coming out, you know, literally every week. So how do we kind of design systems that, you know, allow us to move really, really fast and kind of like add things to it as things change and kind of like adapt to, you know, the constantly changing landscape of generative ai like um you know i've been doing this for four years and every single week i'm just like surprised i'm like oh my gosh how do they do this this is like brand new really exciting um so it's definitely a really exciting space to be in and design for um and i think the next kind of like major thing that we think about is you know how how, how are we going to use these tools in production um like how do we get it from open source to like being production ready. And I think the challenge there is like, you know, a lot of these open source projects, I would say they're like, you know, 95% there in terms of being usable, but like that last 5% is, is really difficult. Like how do we get things to look and feel the way that we want them to? Um, and also being able to kind of like work backwards. I think it's there's an interesting design pattern of like, you know, there's a lot of artists who use Premiere and Adobe After Effects and Blender and that kind of stuff. And it's like, how do we see our tool kind of like, you know, interacting with those other tools? Like, how can we see artists using this in their kind of like day-to-day uh, workflow? Because, you know, I don't think we're trying to like replace Adobe. We're not trying to replace like After Effects. I think what we're after is like, this is a brand new tool with a lot of brand new potential for, you know, like a brand new medium of kind of like creativity. So I think we see ourselves as like being an additive tool for a lot of these artists and kind of being able to like see what that design pattern should be and kind of like finding the research or building new things that kind of like work from that angle, I guess. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Thank you. Do you want to do maybe double click a little bit into the kind of functionality you provide for artists that's different? Like that, I think that is really interesting. Yeah. 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 Happy to. Um, I think we could talk a little bit about sort of what the functionality is today and then sort of what, where we see this kind of going, because I, I think that's also sort of interesting uh, with, with how, how fast the pace of this is moving. Um, so on Kyber.ai today, um, you can do multiple things. So um, the primary function is you can basically enter text prompts to describe your subject and your style and set the length of your video and the AI will generate a video for you. Um, but there's obviously different variations of that. And, and obviously, we're also focused on musicians as our primary user. Um, so musicians, for example, they need music visualizers. And music visualizers are typically audio reactive, right? You have a song that changes or the visuals change with the way that the sound the song is um, sounds. Um, so you can upload a song. You can upload a song up to four minutes right now where um, you can set your text prompt and the the video will be generated and the camera will, camera will move based on how the song is playing. Um, in addition to that, we also have a way where you can upload an image or basically upload the first frame of the video and the AI will interpolate based on the first frame on what the, the rest of the video should look like. So it's this combination of you know, different sort of techniques revolving around these text prompts. Um, we have users, for example, taking um, album covers. Um, they'll take they'll take their album covers or album art, and they'll upload that as an image, and they'll create like a five second animation for it uh, as a looping thing that people can use on socials or like their Spotify canvas on Spotify. Um, so that's sort of like the current uh, the current state of the project. Now, obviously, um, you know, if people look at the Lincoln Park Lost video. Um, people are in a discord every day and they're like, well, how, how do, how do we do that? Can you do that on Kyber today? And like, the question is a lot of those techniques are, are quite difficult to productize and we're sort of working on it. So one of those things 
Um, I'm sure people have heard of like uh, different things like Warp Fusion and ControlNet, uh, where you can restylize an existing video. Right? We could take the video of us three right now, and we can t- turn it into like robots, for example. Um, that's something that we used heavily in the Lincoln Park video, where we took old uh, Lincoln Park documentary footage, we sort of restylized it in anime, sort of. Uh, stylistically consistent with the rest of the animations and we put that together in that video Um, so these are all sort of the direction that we're going in is you know what are the different ways that you can tell interesting stories with this tech as it's advancing right right now it's like text to video is a really good medium to tell the story of music visualizers it's kind of psychedelic it's kind of uh it kind of surprises you in different ways at different time time frames that like really fits within um that medium of storytelling um but you can't really easily tell the story of a cat walking across the street with like the steps looking like they're, you know, they're natural. Right. So, um, so we're sort of working on different techniques to try to try to get those things to be up to a level where we can actually, uh, you know, or artists can actually use it in their work and not just have a, you know, a nice research paper with a couple animations that look kind of okay, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of what our product is doing right now. Yeah, I have to say I'm really excited about video uh, as a as a medium because I think it's just it's so much more compelling than text or image, but it's also so much more difficult because because mm. of the size and then because of the multimodal aspect. And so, like in my my work at Meta with video, we just had a whole different set of challenges, and everything was way more difficult because you have to you have to really bring all these modalities together. But I think it's sort of the frontier of all of this generative AI. How do you how do you refine video and make it better? But yeah, what you guys have any, have any other thoughts around how generative AI for video could potentially evolve? Yeah, yeah I mean, I guess I don't know. I guess to add to that, it's like. I think the trickiest thing is getting that time dimension right, right? It's like, how do you, like, have the model understand what an organic movement should feel like? Um, And it feels like we're definitely a little bit off. Um, I think the next things that we're thinking about are, like, how do we kind of are how are we able to give the model more information about what we want i think i think kind of like the search space of video is so large because you know there's so many things like you can start with an initial frame and then you know how the video plays out like the dimensionality of that is like huge right and i think we really want to be building a tool that is very like intentional like an artist can have an idea in their head come to our tool and kind of like be able to make something that they had planned to make, right? It's not just the AI doing the work. It is like an act of creativity in itself. Um, so I think the next things that we're kind of thinking about are like, how do we add more controls to kind of inference? And how do we like have the model understand more of the artist's kind of like thought process? What about um, on the functionality side of things? Like what are the things that maybe uh, we should look out for it? in the future if you if you're okay with sharing those <laughs> yeah i think jack maybe it's helpful to explain because i think it was really helpful when you explained it to me but like the current state of like diffusion and deform specifically it's like there's that time for, there's a time uh variable that's like not there actually because it's taking a previous frame like can you explain how why, why that's the case like how and why it's like not coherent and like sort of what text to video like I, I think i feel like it's an important distinction yeah i think text to video right now i mean this is starting to change already but um a lot of the text to video that you see that is i guess like state of the art right now is you know you're taking the image model and you're you're running it frame by frame and then what we're doing is we're doing a lot of creative like computational photography techniques kind of like mimic the feeling of like a camera movement Um, but what you're really doing is you're taking you know a frame that you generated and you're using it as kind of like an initialization for the next frame Um, so that way you can kind of get some consistency between frames Um, i think the next step is like to actually build these kind of structures into the model itself so like have the model understand that you know, there's a previous frame, there's kind of like an arc to the movement that it's creating. Um, and we're kind of starting to see that with like text to video, like true text to video. Um, 
and I think you know if once that is like working that could be potentially huge um, but it's definitely like a really difficult problem to solve yeah, yeah I think there's so much so many advancements that we'll see in video uh, but they're like so far more difficult problems than with the other modalities do you want to say something, Richard? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just wanted to expand on that, like maybe more more about concrete features, because um, like I think this last weekend, I mean, this whole week has been an ins- maybe the most insane AI news week that we've <laughs> we've been through yet. Um, and one of the big ones was text to video, like actual text to video, where you um, you know where where you can actually type in a prompt and it'll it'll have temporal consistency um it was a very janky model because half the outputs had shutterstock like watermarks on it <laughs> so uh, but i mean it, it, it pr- proved the point that it was like you know kind of felt like let's say a year ago when we were looking at generative images back then it wasn't very coherent and didn't really make a lot of sense but it was like cool enough to really get our attention um I think that is about to take off because that was an open source model that people can implement implement and sort of iterate on. Um, so for us, it's like, again, like Jackie said earlier, we need to be super agile, right? We have, we have like an internal sort of, um, analogy that we're, you know, we're like a pirate ship and we're, you know, we're, we're sort of in an ocean with a bunch of huge, like huge cruise ships and, and big players and people who are well-funded and, you know, we're trying to run a, normal business here. Um, and so for us, it's like, how do we build the UX where this new model is going to fit in really nicely and we can do it in like two, three weeks. Right. And so, um, so, so that's sort of our, our challenge right now is, you know, that's one of the papers that we're looking at. Like, how do we actually use that in a way that artists can use? Um, I think that's a really challenging nuance to our design challenge. It's not just, okay, we can implement it, go play with it today. No, it's like we can implement it and you can use it in your actual video productions. And that's like a huge like bar higher of, of standard. Um, and so that's obviously like one huge direction that we have to go in. I think another huge one for us is this sort of UX design challenge, I think, is really fascinating to me because it's like I think a lot of times when you have this such a different medium, we try to borrow a lot of the UX solutions from, you know, the previous generation. So, so I'll give you a very real example. Um, every video, you know, people ask for timelines. So one of the biggest feedback that we get from customers, like, how do I, how do I change the subject matter at time 26? And, um, you know, can I do this at time 55 or whatever? And so, so, so those, you know, like if you were to take the design world or solutions from the past, you would think, well, I need a video editor timelines of some sort. Um, but, you know, we're trying to really think from an AI first perspective and, you know, maybe it doesn't really look like a video editing app. Maybe it looks like storyboarding. Maybe it looks like, um, you know, different sort of variations that really fit this medium more naturally. Um, so from our perspective, it is sort of like a how do you create something that is really AI first, but so agile and 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 able to sort of accommodate for all these different new papers that are coming in um, and sort of future proof, right? We don't want to be building a new UX for every single paper that comes out. Um, so so that sort of takes up a lot of our time and, and our thinking, I think, from the team uh, of how do we set up those systems so that we can continue to sort of yeah move move really quickly when all these things are coming out. Yeah, and I think this is really interesting, and this is where you're really pioneering the field because nobody knows what those AI-first paradigms of design are going to look like, but everyone knows they're coming and they're going to be different. So you're in a really unique position with all of this, but this to me is just so interesting. Um, And I also feel like it's an advantage for for you guys because you you don't you're not starting with an established product you can you can start from scratch um so yeah yeah super exciting yeah Um, and i think like a lot of it um it's also very interesting at different like workflow points too um i think you know, for example, when GPT-4 came out and we realized it was multimodal, um, that actually 
solved a lot of the questions that we had in our head. Um, so, so, so for example, one of the real problems that we have is when someone uploads an image, the AI doesn't know what it is. And so you have to describe what it is and your description might not be very good, right? Like um, three people talking on a podcast, like the AI might think this is like, you know, it looks like a train or something, right? Like, uh, but GPT-4, we've seen with the multimodal functions, when you upload an image, it can describe what's happening in that image very, very well, like perfectly uh, from every detail. Um, and so that led us to think, OK, you know, if there's a way that we can use this within our sort of system, though those are all sort of... Um, sort of things that you couldn't really do before. Um, and then how do you sort of wrap that into your UX in a way that feels natural, not intrusive, right? Not sort of complicated. Um, so yeah, there, there's, there's, there's just stuff every day that's coming out that, that we're trying to weave into this workflow that hopefully is coherent and, and, you know, feels good for the user, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and that opens up all these new possibilities. So the other thing I'm curious about, I mean, you're working with uh, musicians and they're a very unique kind of user. So how do you how do you kind of how do you test these paradigms with them? How do you how do you work with them to to see what resonates? Yeah, um, I mean, for starters, I think our production studio stuff really leads this this sort of topic um you know when we're doing those projects um we get a really good sense of what well first of all like does this actually um solve the artistic problem that the artist has um and so that helps us sort of lead into honestly like the product features that are that are more of like a yeah, I would say it's like a pretty strong hypothesis, right? Okay, this big artist likes this style for this type of medium. And so it's probably a good signal that this is going to work as a product. But um, but obviously, it's a different challenge working with a Linkin Park versus working with, um, you know, a user that's paying 15 bucks a month for their music stuff. Um, so for us, it, it is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very standard, I guess, startup philosophy. I think once you have that hypothesis, you put it out there, you you try to reach the musicians in your network. And and hopefully there, there's a little bit of organic movement there where they, they invite others to, to join. But then once you have that cohort of, of musicians, um, then it becomes an art of, you know, listening to what their problems are and trying to solve them, uh, you know, trying to figure out if their problems, you know, what their actual core problem is and then, and then figuring out sort of a solution for it and moving quickly on it. Um, another, another just like really concrete example of that is, um, uh, users, for example, our audio reactivity, the way that we actually build that algorithm, it, it takes basically an average of the peaks and valleys of the of the song and moves the camera based on, based on some of those frequencies. Um, but it's not a lot of control. Like we didn't give any controls. We just basically had it out there. And so people would complain with a really soft song or really loud song. Hey, this isn't like moving to the, to the sound that I want in my song. And so, you know, one solution potentially is, okay, let's break out all the frequencies and you can control super granularly with each, each thing. Um, or, you know, is there a way we can simplify it into like a really simple slider, right? Like to, to say, I want it to react really strong or react really, really uh, lightly. Um, and so we're sort of beta testing that with our cohort of, of music testers that are in our community right now. So, you know, we, we basically reached out to them with a test site. They go in, they try it out, they give us feedback. Um, and, and, and that's how we sort of hone in on a feature before before it goes to um, the wider community. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it you know. So long as that, so long as you find that initial cohort of the of the market that you're trying to build for, and you build like a good relationship with them, where you can really push things out to them and ideas out to them to get feedback, um, then it's just a matter of just doing it. And I think, um, yeah, that, that's sort of where we're at right now. Yeah, and yeah. Like, I guess kind of to add to that too, like I think we're what we're seeing now is like there's a lot of people in our Discord or people who reach out to us who are like using the tool to kind of like make music videos and like i feel like that's such a positive sign um and you can kind of see discussions of people like discussing the best ways to use the tool and you can kind of just like look at people's artwork and kind of like see like oh i didn't necessarily think that someone was going to use it in this way and that kind of gives you like ideas like you kind of like are able to see the tool evolve in the hands of all these artists and kind of just like chart a direction based off of that, you know? 
Yeah. So, so the other question just brings me to the, something we've been discussing in, in a couple of prior conversations, which is why you guys think people people create what you know, and maybe you could, Jackie, from your own personal experience, like, what is it that you know? Why do it? There's so much art already out there. Yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> that is actually such a good question and a very deep question that I don't know if I can answer, but. Like, I think in my own experience, like, uh, my earliest memories are like, you know, I used to get sick a lot as a kid and my parents wouldn't have the heart to stop me from drawing on the walls. So I think like on some level, it's like this like impulsive need. I think like once as like a person, when you experience hardship or you experience joy or, you know, the whole spectrum of human experience, it is like kind of an outpouring of sorts. It is like, I want to kind of like help people feel what I feel or help people like recognize our shared humanity in a way, um, which is, I don't know, a very deep answer, but I think maybe a simpler answer is just that like, I think people have a lot of ideas for things that they want to see in the world. Um, and I think AI is like really interesting in that, like, you know, a lot of people who wouldn't otherwise be able to like represent their ideas visually are kind of like have, I guess, the freedom to do so now. And, you know, as the tools get better and as like the barrier to entry gets lower, like, I think we're just going to see a lot of really great art from people who otherwise wouldn't be artists. And I think, you know, that's a, such a beautiful thing. <laughs> Yeah, and I also think, like, you know, sort of add to that, like, as someone that's not, you know, a quote-unquote artist, right, like, um, that doesn't mean that, like, I don't do creative things on a daily basis, right? Like, doing the startup is a creative act, right? Like, uh, doing this podcast is a creative act. And I think what's interesting to me about AI is, like, it almost feels to me like, there is less of a gatekeeping on the title of artist and sort of capital A artist and like capital C creativity, right? Like there's no, like, I think people are starting to realize that, oh, wow, like given the right medium and the tool, like a lot of people can actually make some really interesting things and, and, and things that are like, you know, they just might not have been able to do before, but now that they have this sort of thing in their hands, they can like explore, sort of the bounds of their imagination. Um, and I think that's really powerful. And I think like for me too, like, yeah, I've never been a visual artist. Right. But I did spend copious amounts of times when mid journey came out and, you know, I, I found myself lost, like I was playing a video game. Um, and, and so that was an interesting sort of self-observation. And I, and I'm sure like many of us in this space, like probably went through that same experience and, um, you know, just even looking at our user base now, like, um, obviously we're focusing on musicians as sort of just our, you know, what we're building products for, but there's a ton of enthusiasts that are in our community that have nothing to do with music at all. Right. They just want to make cool little animations. Um, you know, guarantee you that it had no like artistic background, but I think, um, yeah, this act of creating is probably something that is probably innate to most people. And so, yeah, unlocking that is like kind of what I think the space is about. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is where I think it's just really exciting is, is giving people that ability to become creative and they they don't have to invest in, in learning all of the like right. fine-grained skills that they have. I'm, I'm curious if you had any, on you know, in some of the other mediums and some of the other people we talk to, um, especially like with painting, there's a contingent of very traditional artists who have a very strong visceral negative reaction to a lot of the tools. But I don't know if that's true on, you know, when you think about music and video, have you have you experienced any negative reactions from the creative community or is that something you haven't seen? Yeah, we definitely have. Um, <laughs> it, it, yeah, I, I remember when the Linkin Park video came out. Um, all of our social notifications were just people hating on AI, right? Like how can Linkin Park do this? Like what the, what the F is like Kyber and, and, and all this, like, and what was ironic about it was like, you know, we were working with real artists. We were working with the animation studio, right. And, and everyone working on the medium were thinking of AI as something that made their work better. Right. So, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing where I feel like the negative feedback maybe isn't from the artists. I don't know, Jackie, if you feel similarly, but like most artists I talk to 
aren't threatened by it. Like I, I feel like most artists I talk to find medium quite interesting and, and like um, they have a way of weaving it into their workflow. Like, like I'll, I'll use our designer as an example. Like, um, you know, he's a super talented UX designer. Um, you know, has worked on pretty much everything that you've seen in, in, in the last 10 years. And for him, it's like his whole narrative for himself was like, I would love to use this because it can do things that I didn't think were possible. It expands like what I'm able to do. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, we get a lot of noise, um, but like from our core community and from people, like especially in the music industry, like, yeah, I think people are pretty open to it. I don't know, Jackie, what your experience is. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's also like a mix of a couple of things that, you know, I think why we're seeing the reception that we're seeing, like, I think in a lot of people's minds, AI is kind of like this big, scary thing. It's like a robot that kind of like acts like it's a human. Um, and I think I agree. Like that's kind of scary as someone, as a layman who doesn't really like engage with AI. Um, but I think that's like something that'll get better over time. Like I think that uh, like, I think it's the responsibility of people like us to kind of like educate people of like, you know, this is what AI is. This is what it can and can't do. Um you know, like, here's how we build sustainable art practices with AI. Here's, like, the possibilities and the kind of, like, the tooling that you can have with AI. Um, and I think, like, demystifying that to people is really important. Like, I think I saw comments of people who were like, you know, why didn't you hire real artists? Like, why didn't you just press a button and a music video appeared? Uh, and obviously, like, that's not how it works, right? It was, like, everyone on the team was pulling, like, super long hours just to try to get this across the finish line, right? It was a huge amount of work. Um, but I think that gets lost in this, like, AI discourse. Because at the end of the day, I think it's, like, a tool that, you know, has a certain connotation and feels scary to people. Um, I think another thing is, like, you know, as a painter myself, you know, like, suddenly it's like, oh, did I spend all those years learning how to paint for nothing? Like, is this going to replace me? And I do feel that is, like, very real in a sense. It's, like, this fear that you know the time that you spent into doing something is like kind of being replaced by technology um and i think that is like a very real i guess like concern for people um but i do think that you know like the best art that i've been seeing are like people who have been trained in traditional art who've like who are picking up these tools um and i think like eventually we'll kind of come around to the idea that you know there is really great work being done by traditional artists who can use this ai in kind of a new way um and i guess those are kind of like my rough thoughts as well yeah and just to riff on that um I, the one thing I'm curious to hear from you is um, how does this mean the advent of a new kind of an artist that's an AI artist? And do you, I mean, I heard, you know, there's a guy who did a like famous Midjourney um, painting that just won an award. I'll actually be talking to him. His name is Jason Allen. He spent 80 hours with prompts. <laughs> he spent a lot of time. <laughs> So even though he used AR, AI, he still used a lot of his time. Like he spent a lot of time. But do you guys think it's going to cut the time or is this mean there's just going to have a different kind of tool? Um, like what's a good way to, to, to think about that? Yeah, um, I'll give my perspective. I, I think it's all of the above. I think people will use it exclusively as a medium and maybe, you know, we, maybe it is accurate to call them AI artists. Um, but I also think that plenty of people use it as a mixed medium, right? The Lincoln park video was a mixed medium piece. There was animation, there was live footage, there was AI. Um, I, I think that, um, I think, I think eventually, to be honest, I don't think you can be able to tell, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of AI that's in everything, to be honest. And like, yes, there will be artists who exclusively use these mediums and, and, and they'll they'll pioneer sort of the generative art medium. But there's just going to be use cases. You know, I'm sure everyone's seen the quarter digital sort of animation on YouTube, uh, you know, where, where they use AI to make an, an anime. And like, uh, you know, it's not perfect but it is like 90 percent there and i'm sure these techniques will just bleed into all sorts of creative mediums um so yeah I, i'm all I, I almost think that like you know maybe over time frame we actually won't even be mentioning ai that much in in the art industry um but yeah i'm not sure 
Yeah, I guess like I would say my opinions are pretty similar too. Like I, I think this will mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, like when I first got started with a lot of generative media, I was thinking about ways that I could combine, you know, my traditional oil painting work with this AI. Um, I was doing stuff where I was like generating infinite like fractals of like my paintings and stuff where I was training on my own work and my own writings and trying to like express this kind of like emergent form that has come out of like the combination of, you know, me doing paintings and the, the AI kind of interpreting it. Um, but even for other people too, it's like, you know, uh, like maybe there'll be traditional artists who use, uh, AI to generate reference photos for them or, you know, it kind of all depends on, you know, how they, what their relationship is with these tools. Um, so I think it's really just, I don't know, an advent of a whole new set of tools, really, for artists. We're kind of like, hope. I guess our hope is that this should unlock creativity in people and they can kind of like approach it to whatever degree that they feel comfortable with. Yeah, I, I think we're we're seeing that unlocking already, and it's just so exciting. Um, well, I I love this conversation. This has been awesome. Um, I guess do you, any last words you guys have, like, or any advice for for people who are thinking about you know building their own generative AI companies or, or anything else you want to plug? If I were to sum up the advice. Um, Definitely just keep building. <laughs> like, I, I think uh, there's a lot of people with, like, different ideas out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of first-time entrepreneurs who, um, yeah, they you know, they've always wanted to build something. They've always had an idea of something. But I think um, we've found the most knowledge and the most activation energy when we actually put something out there and have someone use it. Um, and I think this is a time in tech where, the barrier to do that is quite low. Like you can, you can implement these open source papers and, and try to try to build something on top of it. That's quite powerful and useful. Um, and yeah, like I, I think the other corollary to that is, you know, when you're building uh, again, like listen to your customers very carefully, like don't think about exactly what they're saying, like dig deeper into what they're actually trying to solve, what the real problem is. Um, sometimes it's not exactly what they're saying. Um, and that is actually a skill that the whole team has to like learn uh, on a daily basis of what those sort of, uh, yeah, what the solutions can look like. Um, but it's super fun. I'm having the time of my life and, uh, yeah, I, th I think we're really enjoying it. So have fun with it too. Yeah. Jackie. I th yeah. I think my parting thoughts would be like, so, I mean, I recently talked to Eric about this and I think we both came to the conclusion that like, you know, if we weren't making any money from this, if we weren't getting any attention, there was no product, whatever, like we would still just be doing this anyways. Like this is just what we're really excited about. And like, I think both of us just really, really like doing this. Um, and I think with all the production work and all the stuff that we've made so far, like, I think it's really just been the pursuit of trying to make something that's beautiful. And I think, like, authenticity plays a huge role in this. Um, I think that it's really easy to kind of get wrapped up with new technology. But um, I guess my advice would be to, like, really find, like, what excites you about this thing and kind of just build off of that, you know, like chart your direction based off of like what is important to you, I guess. Um, and I think the rest will follow. At least that's my mentality. I love that. I love that. Thank you both. Uh, I'll be watching out for all the upcoming Kyber releases. And as you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of all of your work. So thank you.